wait, are we talking about this in the? Is this the podcast? Uh, I don't know. I hope not. Should have been. If I would have said the, if I if I only would have. <clears throat> hey, everybody! Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm your host Jay. Joining me today is Robbie Helene. Are you not? Joining? Was, are you starting? That, was that starting? That was the start. What? Oh my goodness! That's how I, I start never every know time. when you're starting. You were literally you in always know. talking about Jurassic Park, and then all of a sudden you launch into "Hey, everybody!" You I always can't keep well, up. that is the clear start. Like you don't wonder when <laughs> that's I start. Clear. Hey, hey, everybody! That's my. That's the calling card. That's how everybody knows it started. Okay. Everybody. Like oh, Leslie's okay. being quiet right now because she heard the "Hey, everybody." We can only hope. So can we start? Sure. Starting now in three, two. I already did it. Oh, okay. Hey, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. Podcast? This is <sighs> this is our, three, our most two, stumbling one. start. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Williams, and joining me today is Robbie Helene. Hey, everybody. There, that's much better. That was people, that was much better. The people probably didn't hear. They're not. We're going to cut all that out. The tomfoolery. I but, sure hope so. But we just started half a dozen times. Yes. In the midst of talking about Jurassic Park, that last one I think was a keeper. So we're going to go ahead and yeah. keep moving forward. Yep. So I saw Jurassic Park for the first time. It's a little little late to the game yep. on that one, I'd say. I've been holding off the spoilers. People talk about it all the time, and I say, no, 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 no. hold on. Was that intentional or d- due to neglect? How do you how do you arrive know. thirty years later having not seen? I don't know. Whenever there's a movie that people are shocked that I haven't seen or that I'm surprised, I think, okay, well, when was it made? And so it was 1993, and so probably in my freshman year of high school, and right. um, I didn't like scary movies. Is it a scary movie? Sc- well, it is pretty. There's is, a lot there's of peril. Scenes. Yeah, there's a lot of peril. It's basically like one perilous scene after the next. <laughs> uh, so we watched it with our kids, and it was maybe a little bit of a mistake. I don't know. Oh, Lauren mm. had seen it, and she okay. was on. I just said, "Well, you've seen it. I don't know." And so um, we watched it. It was fine. I was I was impressed that the special effects still hold up. That's they really do. surprising. See, that's the advantage of the like the practical effects. Like, if you weren't trying to do computer-based effects in 1992 those movies do not no hold up no but when you still had like frank oz working a mechanical raptor like that was that what was looks going pretty on? good man okay yeah it does it 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 did look pretty good i thought the the story was weird and um made no sense i mean I feel like, and I, I know this makes me that guy, but I feel like that's almost always the case when you try to take a really popular novel and then turn it into a two-hour movie. You're you're yes. cutting out like seventy percent of the backstory and all the things that make it make sense, right? And then you just kind of grab the yes, but T Rexes eat people, and right? Then, and everything goes wrong. Yeah, there's the, our story. I did not well, and I didn't know Newman from Seinfeld was in it. <laughs> so it's just so weird. Like he, he, they set him up as he's the villain, and then he's gone in the first. However, like, spoiler alert! Yeah, immediately after betraying everyone, he's he's gone out of the picture, and that no longer matters. Justice. Like there's nobody. They don't they don't close any of the loops. There are all these loops that are started, and they don't close any of them. So like, what happens to the person who was trying to get all the DNA? Like I expected them to Jurassic Park come back too. Oh, oh yeah. I guess there are sequels, huh? You got to keep a couple loose in so that okay. there's something for the sequel. Like the Triceratops, does he come back? Because that, like, they spent all this time about a sick Triceratops and then nothing. <laughs> like, is the weirdest. The well, weirdest because thing. then all of a sudden they started getting attacked, and so the infirm. Well, she just appears back at the base. Like, I just didn't understand that. They definitely cut out. They edited a lot of stuff out. Fortunately, I had two people in my family who read the novel, and they both. We're able to fill in all the blanks. That's always super helpful. Yeah. Because I'm like, well, actually, this is what happened. And I just don't understand Jeff Goldblum as like the heartthrob. <laughs> that was very weird. The, I don't know that he's supposed to be the He's the rock star. Throb. Yes, he is. He's like the the ladies' man kind of mathematician. You know that guy. The math- <laughs> <laughs> 
the 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 ladies' man yeah. theoretical mathematician. Yeah, yeah that's that part. So played out. Like he just is like always. <laughs> it just it's very weird, man. It's very weird. I thought I was not expecting that. He's unconventional, Jay. He's not a he, he's not a heartthrob. He's the unconventional mathematical theorist. You need to go back and watch it and tell me that that was not his role in the movie. Because it was a hundred percent his role in the movie. That would that would be miscast then. I think. Well, that's what I'm saying. Okay. It was weird, but I think you know whatever. So if you guys have thoughts, so that'll do it for this week. Um, if you have any questions about Jurassic Park or any other '90s films, you can, you can reach us at connect Jay. at faithpestigo.com. And until and next if you time, care about things that matter, oh, you should tune into part two. Hitting fast forward now. Now. So you preached on uh, the very first Christians. Well, the, sorry, the very first. <laughs> the very the uh, technically no. Right, the uh, first time that Christians were uh, given that name, yes. or they referred to as that name, and uh, and then uh, you talked a lot about missions yeah. this weekend. Well, I mean, I feel like Luke talked a lot about missions, so I just touche talked about the stuff he was talking about yeah so what um was there anything that you weren't able to because you you talked a little bit about the the name christians and and what that what that meant and how it was kind of originally a derogatory term um and i don't know if it was necessarily derogatory um that's a good question i mean people kind of assume that but i think i think they just um, whether or not they meant a derogatory, like they just associated with, like you would say, like the Herodians, because those are all the people who follow Herod. That's and true. So, like that was just kind of what would, what they would do. They would just identify you with the person that you were following. And I don't know that they necessarily. I don't think they meant it in a complimentary way necessarily. But I don't know that it was like we came up with this particularly mean name for those people who follow Jesus. It was just like those are all those Christy people who right. are like just following jesus it reminded me of the you know back in the 70s or whenever when the the jesus freak movement mm-hmm. kind of was big and people were just labeled as like oh they're speaking jesus of the 90s freaks. that had a resurgence in the 90s again remember sure did DC do talk. i remember <laughs> come on now got the book on my shelf i think uh, yeah well, maybe not yeah but i mean it was it was and that and that's probably part of it because that really was a little bit of a derogatory term that then was received and said yep that is what i am yeah but i just thought it was really neat to to think that what i love about it and i think is important is that they didn't give themselves that name like the church didn't say what should we call ourselves right right they're not they're not in like a branding meeting to try to figure out what we're what we're going to call this new movement like they just initially they just called it the way right like this is just this is the way we live right yeah because again they weren't starting a new religion. Right. It was just the Messiah had come. Yeah. So this was, they, you know, we have to remember, especially the, for the Jews who became followers of Jesus, they were in no way converting. Correct. They, they just saw this as like, now the Messiah has come and he's yeah. fulfilled these promises and, and they're learning then what does it look like now, now that the Messiah has come, how does that, how does that shift the focus of my life, which now it comes from away from the law and now to abiding in Christ. And so then that creates all these different issues. Like we talked about last week about the, um, you know, can I eat with Gentiles and about all these ceremonial laws and, and all these different things that they're kind of learning on the fly now of, of what does that mean now? Um, but so they didn't see themselves. They didn't feel like they needed to brand themselves as a new, like we've started a new religion. Right. Um, but it's what other people said about them. And I think that's what's so powerful about that. What I love so much about that story. And I just think about today of, you know, what, what would people call us? Like if they, if, yeah. if they didn't have a name for these people who are following Jesus, what, what would they call us? And, um, and so I just think, I think yeah. that's a good, <laughs> I don't know if I like that question. I know. Well, yeah, I, I think, I think that the, the the key application there that I would just throw out there that I was thinking about was would they would they identify you first and foremost by who you follow or by what you do or what you know how you live like right. 
you know, would we be the honest people or the, the moral people or the politically conservative people or whatever? Or would they first and foremost say like, look, I don't, I don't know about all of that, but they sure talk about Jesus a lot and yep. they sure like, like Jesus freaks or little Christs, you know, yeah. this, this yeah. idea that, um, that's the most identifying characteristic. Um, so I think, I think that's just a really neat part of that story, but are there other things I mean, either in that or other things that because you were kind of focusing and, and it was um, you pointed out that there's kind of these three little sections to this. And so it kind of laid out nicely. But um, were the things that ended up on the cutting room floor that you wished you had had time to go into, but you just knew for the sake of the the point of the message you didn't. I mean, I mentioned in. And I don't want to get too sidetracked, even in the podcast on this, but um, I mean, Agabus is just fascinating, right? There are so many questions that pop up with that um, that I think is kind of fun to discuss and and try to fit within the context of the rest of the New Testament. Um, but we've got these dudes from Jerusalem who show up prophesying, predicting the future, and this thing that actually happens. So uh, that. I think is has a lot of fun questions uh, all wrapped up in that, but it is like clearly to Luke, that's not the main point. Like to to Luke, the main point is not this dude came in here prophesying. What do we do with that? To Luke, the main point is clearly this dude came in and told us this thing was going to happen. That, by the way, happened, and this is the response of the believers in Antioch. Like that's Luke's point. And so um, while that can be a fun discussion, I think it's always more important to, to make the main point what the author of scripture made the main point and, and keep peripheral what the author of scripture is keeping peripheral when it's, when it's clear. And I think in that passage, it's pretty clear that Agabus is just setting up what Luke is going to describe as the response of the church of Antioch and then Paul and, and, or then still Saul technically and Barnabas. Um, but I think it's fun offline to have that kind of conversation go, what do you, what do you do with Mm -hmm. new Testament prophets? Um, I think some, some of the things that happen in the new Testament, one of the, especially in acts that it's always amazing to me what doesn't surprise them. Right. Yes, exactly. It's, so that says yeah. something where they're like, and you know, Agabus foretold the future. And so they, it, he doesn't go into the discernment process of why they believed him. Um, no, the, they just, it just, they like, just believe, right. That isn't yeah. a discussion among the church. This right. dude shows up prophesying and everyone's like, whoa, famine's coming. We should do something like, right. Just... <laughs> Which, you know, if Luke had thought that needed explanation, he would have, you know, right. there's just so many right. times in scripture where it's it's the lack of the lack of explanation says something that's right it says it doesn't need to be explained right. and you can think of modern day examples of that in our own cultural context if you're reading an article and somebody said you know um, was talking about this thing you know there were there were 300 cases of this illness and <laughs> it was in Peshtigo Wisconsin yeah well you wouldn't need to explain like that's statistically significant because it's a small town. And yeah. so, yeah. um, so that's like 10% of the population and, you know, or, or if they had said there's only one case in New York city, you wouldn't, you wouldn't need to explain that, you know, someone 2000 years from now could read right. about that and go, well, there was a case in New York city. Like, what does that, what does yeah. that mean? And then that's why we have biblical scholars and, and why it's, it's good to know the culture and the geography and, and what's going on because, those things, then it can help us understand what would have been plain to them when they when they yeah. read this. Um, but this is one of those things where you're kind of left just, well, I don't know. But they weren't they weren't bothered by it. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a really helpful in, interpretive filter. That if the author of scripture does not seem all that interested or alarmed by it, then I should not be alarmed by it. Right. Like if he's if. In, in this case, he's like just using it as a detail to set up the narrative to right. get to the main point. Well, then I shouldn't make that obscure detail the main point. And, and that should not be what, right. I, what I dwell on. It doesn't mean we can't talk about it. It doesn't mean right. it doesn't raise some questions because that isn't a normal 
weekly Sunday experience for us that somebody would walk in and right. prophesy what's going to happen in a few months. Um, so it that isn't normative to us, but it but it should communicate something to us that that was evidently normative for them. Right. Yeah, and I think if if you're gonna if you're going to try to dismiss things in scripture you got to be careful when it when it is something that would have been would have evidently been normative to them. Yeah. You think about the the flip side of that. Look at how much space is dedicated to building the case that the gospel is really available to Gentiles. I know, it was the first thing that popped in my head. It's like saying saying is it is it okay to tell the gospel to a non-Jew gets like multiple committee meetings right. and like oh, everyone's got to gather together like chapters and whatever right. and prophesying and everyone's right. like cool <laughs> yeah. moving right along and that's Let's, the reverse gathering of, an offering right that's the reverse of our our current culture <laughs> yeah you know where we would obviously be like wow or eating meat or all these different things that you'd say yeah. now i think wow do you really needed two chapters for that and a whole council like yep but yeah, that because to something. your because right. to your point this this wasn't seen as conversion to something new right it wasn't even from the outside. Part of the reason why why persecution doesn't happen from outside of the religious Jewish community for quite a few years is because the Romans just viewed Christians as a subsect of Judaism, and so right. like they had already established some rules of like here's what you know why we leave the Jews alone, and they have this these certain exceptions. And Christians for the first couple of decades benefited from those exceptions mm-hmm. because Rome just saw them as a subsect of Judaism. It wasn't until the Jewish religious leaders were like, they are not with us. Right. That is not our crew. That then all of a sudden Rome goes, oh, well, then we don't give them the special privileges and protections that we give the Jews. And then and then things kind of come off the rails. But yeah, so their their questions are all, how does this fit with everything that we have understood up to this point? Because we have laws within Judaism that now it seems like God is flexing those, and that's understandably confusing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought another thing that really, I mean, your your three points were it was a very clear outline. Just not, you even had Thanks. slides with like one, two, three on there. Yeah, I, so you the reason blanks. I know the reason I, d- I needed blanks yeah. <laughs> is a little fill in the blank. Problem. I did that with our with our church history class. Okay. I started doing fill in the blanks. Yeah, man. don't don't be mad. Um, sometimes it's helpful. Yeah. Uh, the, my the main reason for doing that is because I wanted to, people to be able to have the visual of which like how the verses were breaking up to kind of just be able to see like yeah. oh it's verses like nineteen through twenty two is this section and whatever. Um, also, I really want them to remember those three things. So. It's a right. two, two-fold reason for the slides. I really want us to remember those three very simple things that that are so definitive in how the church is supposed to function. And I think there are three things that we, if you just said them, and even in a sermon, you can take them for granted and say, well, of course. So right. like when the first one is we sh- the missional church shares the gospel. So one, I thought really critical, and I, I love the, th- the idea or the point that you made that you could use any other descriptor in front of church or no descriptor at all. And it would still mean the same thing. Yeah. Meaning that, that if you say like, well, we're a biblical church, well, biblical church is going to do these things. It's going to share the it's gospel. Gonna, right. It's going to train and send missionaries. Right. Like right. it's, it, it's not like there's, there's the different disciple, right. disciple making option of the church. And then there's the non-disciple making option yeah. of the church. Well, there's the, I mean, we have created we've that. Cre- yeah, we've created yeah. all of these. So biblically like, that created, doesn't yeah. exist. No, it doesn't at all. And so I love that. And so one of the things I thought when you're, so let's just take that, that first point, share the, share the gospel. Um, I love, I mean, we that's something, and it's been stated multiple times over the last few weeks of the importance of this and the critical nature of that. But that is a reality that it, right now in the missions, when you look at the missions landscape, there has been a a a move away from that very basic tenet. You know the, that there are a lot of missions organizations who see that as either a um, either a specialized skill for only specific people in their organization or not just not what their organization is about. Like they think their, their job is to go in and provide um, to work towards clean water or whatever, but they're not, they're not there to share the gospel and just think, well, that's, that's not missions then. Right. I mean, that's correct. That's like, 
humanitarian aid. Yep. Which is important. It is important. We need to bring fresh water to people who are dying of preventable diseases like diarrhea. Like they need fresh water and Christians should be on the front line providing that. But when, when a quote missions sending organization end quote develops a policy that you are not allowed to share the gospel with the indigenous people of the country that you are involved in. That's a problem. Right. Like then you are no longer a missions organization if if you are dis- not only discouraged but um and and this isn't this isn't hypothetical. Like this is from people that we know who have had to change missions organizations because their sending agency told them you have to stop telling people the gospel. That is not our policy. We do not do that and we don't allow our staff to do that. And they left because then that's not then that's not being a missionary anymore um and that we see that more and more and more this shift away from actually declaring the gospel um which then means we're seeing a shift away from missions and and a shift toward um humanitarian effort which which again those two things should not be divided those things should not be separated it is as i am providing clean water for you i am explaining to you the living water that is eternal and you will never thirst again if you are given this um, but, but to like, once you separate those two things, the, the first stage, I was just, <clears throat> excuse me, I was just reading this a couple days ago. The, the first stage is an assumed gospel where right. we just kind of assume that we don't communicate it. We do all these other works and these other acts and just assume, well, yeah, it's there in the background. And then the inevitable next step is gospel rejection we just now we now overtly reject the gospel as something that is hurting our humanitarian efforts and because those are primary and that's what is meant to do and so we see that that that's the progression as both individuals and organizationally and and then that's when that's when you begin to see that the the deterioration of missions organizations of of churches when churches adopt that idea of we don't share the gospel with people outside we we get kind of self-protective um that's when you begin to see countries gradually de-christianize because Mm -hmm. people are not sharing the gospel new believers are not coming to christ and therefore it it literally just dies out just as that generation dies out then then so does the gospel influence in that in that country but you pointed out that that really the, the the root issue there is is how do how do I view the gospel? That right. if I don't view it right. as this incredible news that I am dependent on every day, um, then then it's not going to feel like something I really need to share with somebody. And I think you do you see that deadening you know in churches where it becomes and it, we've seen this in all kinds of churches. You know you see it church that I grew up in started looking at humanitarian aid as that's the thing that gave real meaning. And then the gospel just kept losing influence more and more. And then you can also look at it the other way where people, um, you know, replace, uh, replace the gospel, um, with theology or with knowledge or with biblical knowledge and principles and morality and, and that kind of thing, because that's the thing that really matters. And yeah, the gospel is just this story that kind of ties it together. If we are not proclaiming the good news, the gospel, then none of those other things are are lasting. They they don't, they don't bear any fruit in and of themselves. Well, the sad irony in that is then you end up with the, the hyper liberal and the hyper conservative both committing the identical sin right. and the not same realizing thing. it. It's the same. Both of right. you have made something that is not the gospel a primary. Um, one person it's theology and and knowledge, and the other person it's uh, or you know and or you know perceived morality out of based on my own effort, and the other one sees these these external humanitarian efforts. But you're literally both committing the same sin yeah. while you're pointing at the other and saying you've you've got it all wrong. Right. I mean, that's, so that's that false dichotomy. And that's one yeah. of the things we have to be really, be really mindful of. I mean, this is just for discernment right now in this culture uh, where we're dealing with it, where it's very difficult to, to understand, you know, who, what voices can I trust? Um, just be really careful of anybody that creates or perpetuates a false dichotomy. 
Yeah. That if you hold this, then you can't, that means you're against this other thing. Right. And, and ask yourself, are those things actually mutually exclusive? <laughs> right. Because, because kind of, I mean, there are very few things that are actually mutually exclusive. Um, you cannot, I mean, Jesus gives us some of those. You cannot serve God and money. Like you right. cannot, you cannot worship God and worship another God or have yeah. another idol. Those are mutually exclusive. Funny, you cannot serve God and money is almost never the thing that we're pointing out. Though, right. As never. The dichotomy. No, no, never. Like that's the, the one, the, the true dichotomy that right. Jesus actually Jesus gives. Jesus actually sets up. We right. don't talk about it. No, no, because that... Yes, for so many reasons, Robbie, and and that's just part of the awareness that, that we hurts have to my have. Book sales, Jay, or it does hurt. It hurts book sales. It hurts hurts your YouTube channel. It hurts all the things, man. But um, but these false dichotomies, and that's again what was created with the whole social gospel pitted against um the the biblical gospel, and the irony was neither one of those were the gospel. Correct. Like so, they both they both like pitted the other one against the the other, right. and because once you separate them, they right. cease to be they cease to be the, the thing, yeah. right? Like, yeah, if you're not about giving people clean water while you tell them about the living water, well, then you're that's you're missing something there, yeah. and and when you're missing something in the gospel, like something critical, then it's it's not the gospel at that point, and um and well, so yeah yeah well, and the real the real danger in setting up these false dichotomies is you end up then making it sound like Jesus is the one contradicting himself because right. when you create a dichotomy that Jesus did not create, Jesus has no problem holding these things in tension. And so right. he's going to uh, have expectations of us and, and exhortations to us that, that are going to sound like they're in conflict with one another when we create this dichotomy. So you get one person saying, well, you can't believe this if you're a Christian and the other person saying, but Jesus is the one who said that. Well, but this is more, this other thing is more important than that thing. And you find yourself going, yep. wait, you just said Jesus is wrong. Right. You, you are not right. right. Your argument instantly falls apart the moment you say Jesus was wrong about that. Because if he understood what I understand about doctrine and theology and whatnot, then he would have said that differently. And we don't obviously we very seldom are crazy enough to articulate it that way. We just kind of dance around that. Well, Jesus, that's not, that can't possibly be what Jesus meant when he said that, because otherwise that would contradict my position. And obviously right. Jesus would that's never the, contradict my position. So that's the classic, the classic <laughs> defense is that I know Jesus didn't mean that because that would contradict me. Um, how dare how, he, well, he would never do, no, such he a wouldn't thing. do that. Yeah. So how dare you accuse Jesus of contradicting me? <laughs> Um, that's, that's a pretty classic oh, gosh, view, it's so gross. but it is gross, but it, I mean, it's something that we're all tempted to do because yeah. Jesus pushes against everyone, everyone. And in, everyone. to your point about him not having a hard time, you know, holding these things in tension or holding two things as true. They're not even, a lot of these things aren't even tension. Like it's not, there isn't right. even a tension well, between. I create the tension. Right. I create the tension by saying like, well, if you care about that, then you're not caring about this. And it's just nonsense. Uh, the early church didn't struggle with that at all. I mean, we talked about this in Acts 6, that they that it was critically important that all the widows were being fed. Like that was critically, so critically important that they, uh, they appoint godly people who are going to oversee that to make sure that, yeah. that the Hellenistic widows are getting fed. They also say at the same time, we have to appoint people to that because we can't be pulled away from praying and, you know, and teaching right. the word. Like they... Right there's this understanding of these, both of these things are really important. And we have a tendency to, to play a zero sum game where we think that giving importance to one side means taking away importance yeah. from the, the other. Yeah. And we don't have to do that. You can, you can hold both things in high esteem and say, no, I value both of those things because those things are not mutually right. exclusive. And because God values both of those right. things. He values both of those things. And you saw it again, you know, last week when we talked about uh, Peter, that once he realizes that he had this sinful attitude towards the Gentiles, and once he realized the gospel really was going to the Gentiles, he doesn't make his life mission then to break down the walls between the Gentiles and the Jews. His main thing is preaching the gospel then. That's yeah. the thing that he sees as unifying. It's in his repentance of that that he realizes the gospel is this powerful, this is the powerful message. That's what we are about. Um, and so, so he does, um, it's important 
that uh, he demonstrates that and then encourages other people, helps everybody, he helps people of the circumcision party understand that, hey, no, the gospel has gone to the Gentiles. These are our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So there is real reconciliation and unity happening, and it's around the gospel. So I think you can't overstate that point and and remind ourselves of if I don't think the gospel is the most important you know narrative or the most important thing here then I then I don't understand it and if I don't see how the gospel is both what I proclaim and what I demonstrate for people mm-hmm. um, we we say this all the time but the the way we know what Jesus meant by some of the radical things he said was because it was demonstrated in his life. So if Jesus yep. goes around cursing his enemies, when he says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, we only know partly what that could possibly mean until we see him on the cross saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Right. This It is so critical that we are demonstrating. So if we're talking about living water, but we don't give people clean water, then our our witness and what we're telling them, it lacks, right. lacks demonstration, lacks power. Um, so... He sets the bar high when he prays that prayer for the group of people committing the worst sinful atrocity in the history of humanity. Like, like crucifying God. Right. There's nothing. No, Hitler is not as bad as what these guys accomplished. And, and, and his response to the worst conceivable sin perpetrated by a human being is father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And, And if I don't understand that that is what that grace is like that I have received, then then I'm not capable of feeling love for my enemies. I'm not capable of, and I, I'm I'm not, that's certainly not going to, if I don't feel that myself, it's certainly not going to overflow into, man, it, even that person could be saved by this gospel. If I can be saved by this gospel, then even that person can. And I would actually desire that they would be instead of just desiring that they get the justice that they that deserve right we perceive that they deserve um when i deserve the same justice or worse right and and it's only by the gospel alone that i would not receive that 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 justice would fall on jesus instead of on my face uh which which i deserve when i when i understand that then i begin to feel compassion for people who who aren't currently experiencing that right yeah Amen. So that that is a very critical first point that you made. The the second point you made, um, which I think hits harder for ministry leaders, but yeah. I think it hits hard for everybody. Yeah. But that they that a missional church sends sends their best, like and and that's weird to say it in that sense because it's like, well, if you didn't get sent, does that mean you're not the? Somebody had pointed that out. Not right. not here, but I remember that in the past of. Of, of hearing that of going oh well, i've we've sent a lot of people i'm still here so i must have been like <laughs> the lowest yeah. tier but it's not that you aren't also you don't god is always uh replenishing and he right. but you have to have the mindset of um it's gonna hurt right. you're gonna send people and right. people that you in one sense wish didn't have to go right right if we by god's grace plant a church out of this church right then we need really excellent disciple makers and worship leaders and pastors and right. lay people to go and and be a part of that and there's an aspect where you go man that's that's such a bummer but don't we need those people here but but the the blessing is is in saying no no they need them there like right. we're, like that and then and then who's god going to now raise up to to fill those roles uh where where we are here who's god going to you know ideally then raise up and send out people out of that new that that baby church like right but but just that idea of instead of protecting what we have saying how do we how do we give our first fruits how do we give our very best for the sake of the kingdom um instead of like well what can we spare and right (laughs) yeah and that's that scarcity mentality of even resources and people resources it's also reveals a a lack of understanding of just how how this is supposed to work. And I think if there's Mm. anything that has really wounded the American church, I mean, there's so many things. And and I always talk about that when people say like, why are you always talking about the American, like when you say the American church, because that's the church I know, like this is the church I've grown up in is the church I'm serving. And so I, churches in other countries have different problems. Right. And so it would be weird for me if it would be awfully culturally 
arrogant of me to say the problem in the church today, I'm trying to specify it. And like the problem that I know here, I don't know what's going on, you know, in Indonesia, in the church there, as far as like, what's the big problem they're dealing with there. Um, But here, this has been a big challenge for people because we don't like change and we like to, we, we like to try to recapture or keep anything good that we have. We want to keep it and we want to hoard it. And so it's what we do with finances um, we do it with um, ministries. We do it when we keep trying to recapture, um, you know, what we had there. And we're afraid of change because we might lose, we might lose that. And then it's never what it once was. And that is the nature of just life. Yeah. You know, um, this weekend going to several graduation parties and looking at pictures when they were little and thinking about my kids when they were younger and now, you know, getting a little older and now I'm a couple of years away from my first you know, graduating um, from high school and just realizing you, you can't go back. It would be, it would be terrible if I continue to dress my kids up like they were when they were five or six and make them, you know, like, Hey, we're going to keep playing this game and I'm going to, you're going to sit on my lap and I'm going to read this book to you. Um, it, that would be strange. Right. And, and, um, we, none of us would see it as parenting success. If my kids are, you know, they love me so much. Like, Oh, I have such a great relationship with my kids. They still live in my basement, you know, and they, they don't, they don't want to leave home. We would say, Oh, that's, they should want to go, you know, and, and we want to send. So God has given us that picture of raising up and sending and that that's, that's the beautiful picture. And though, yes, you grieve over what you used to have that you no longer have as that dynamic changes and the relationship changes, you also celebrate what, they now have, yeah. you know, and I, I always feel that way. We see that um, when you try to multiply small groups or gospel communities or church plants, when you talk to leaders about church plants, that's the thing that holds them back. It's it's rarely the finances. It's rarely even the desire to see. They want to see those things happen in other places. Mm. They just don't want to sacrifice mm. their own culture and their own people and their own way um, way of life to see it happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Hard. Which is why we're willing to give money. Not just we like as faith church, but, but churches will first give they'll give money before they'll give people usually. Yeah. If they can come up with money cause money they can kind of replace or whatever. But then if you're thinking, Oh, I'd have to send, if I'm going to plant a church, I'd have to send like 40 to 50 of our best people. Mm. That's really, that's scary. Yeah. Because, because yeah. you, you, it's going to change the church. Your church will no yes. longer be what it was when, when all those people were together. Correct. Um, but the irony of that is, if you kept them there and you refused to send people, it's not going to be what it was anyway. Correct. Because it's Correct. always going to change. And the only way you can keep everything like that is to take away a missional desire. And if you take that away, then you're going to kill what you have anyway. That's right. So that's right. And. <clears throat> I mean, and and unless our mentality is well, better we all die together than than grow, <laughs> which, which I've definitely seen that. Yeah, I mean that that definitely is a mentality that can infect the church to say better better we all die together and this thing just fizzles out. Um, but man, that is just the saddest. Like to to offer no generational legacy to to have nothing to hand over to the next generation. Is, is just so sad. It's just such a heartbreaking way for a church to to fizzle out rather than being able to say, what what if we we had a baton to pass, a torch to pass on right. that was that that could see another few laps uh and, and for the for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the those those souls that are involved in that, for the sake of the community that they're around. Like that it's it's not worth like it is not better to try to just hang on to mm-hmm. these things. No, it's never better to to hang on, and that goes back to the it's gospel. Not easy? No, but it's, it's not. not but if if your view is, if you understand that the gospel is the valuable thing, that it's yeah. not it's not that particular group that was getting together, or it, it's what the gospel was doing, what the Holy Spirit is doing through those people because of this, the good news that God redeems and saves sinners and redeems and makes them his own, that that's what makes that powerful. Not that particular group of people, yeah. not that particular ministry, not that particular way we did things, not that particular 
um, worship service or time or any of that stuff. None of those things are actually the thing. It's the power that was working through those things. And that power is available and is always there and is multiplying. Mm -hmm. And so sending is a part of participating in the multiplication of that. And in, in my experience, when we have sent people, like when we were starting house churches and we would send people out, it always hurt. Yeah. You know, we'd always grieve, but we were also excited to see. And then, and then you're also rejoicing then in, in the multiplication of the gospel as they go. And when they see new people come to faith in Christ, and we're also getting to celebrate that. And, and it increases our joy. Like Paul yeah, talks about, you yeah. just are, you know, make my joy complete being of one mind. But then there's also like this, like an increasing joy because of the sending. And I couldn't help but think like, that's probably how they felt about Barnabas. I mean, yeah. And I, and by the way, I loved how you just pointed out that here's this guy whose name is Joseph, but that's no longer what anybody called him. And another thing, kind of like the the Christians that like naming mm. that, kind of going back to that, is what would what would somebody call me? Mm. You know, if they mm. um, if they had to describe me and say like, well, there goes, um, you know. That makes me nervous too to think, (laughs) (laughs) but, but how encouraging was this guy that that just became his, his name. And, um, and then like the obvious, uh, the obvious, like, well, of course we're going to send him. Like we can't, we can't keep him because you know, it's really hard taking the gospel to new areas. So you you know what you really need in those situations? You need an encourager. Yeah. You can't, you got to have that. And so, um, I thought that, man, that we would be known by that. But it was just an example of, like, why would you want to give away the encourager? Because you see that yeah. as important. Love that guy. Yeah. Want that guy to stick around. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was really powerful and something, just the whole idea of if we want to be ascending church, then we have to be willing to hold people and and eras and sweet moments and just enjoy them for what they are. Just yeah. like you would say to somebody with their kids, like enjoy. Yes, they grow up fast. So enjoy the season you're in yeah. and every season carries with it new blessings and new challenges and enjoy that season. I still remember that being really good. great counsel given to me about don't worry about, yes, it goes too fast, but don't worry about that. And you know, so that can, if you're always mindful of like, well, this will, you know, this is going to go by fast and like, we aren't going to have this, then you don't actually enjoy it. It's kind of like when you go on vacation and day two, you're already stressed about like, like this isn't going to last forever. Like, no, it's not, it's not meant to, but you're much better when you're just being present and enjoying what you have in that, in that moment. And then knowing that when you return or when the next season happens, that there will be blessings and new mercies there. So, um, that's good, man. That's really good. Yeah. That's your, that's your way of moving me on, moving me along. Is it? Yeah. Well, the the last point, I don't know, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> Wait, we're not supposed to let no. tomfoolery creep into the to the, uh, the the meat of the podcast. Um, and then you, you talked about sharing uh, resources and just the financial generosity um, of of the church and like a missional church is going to give. And that's something, man. I one of the things I've struggled with over the years is just how you you made the point of that we are actually wealthy even though you don't we don't realize it and maybe not compared to uber wealthy but i think it just says something again talking about the american church of how wealthy overall the american church is and how i never understood um you know when when you think about church planting most people plant in the United States, we have this idea, and, and this is this is a little bit of shop talk or a little insider language. But in church planting, typically, one of the big um, one of the big measuring sticks that you try to achieve, and and if you're going to start a new church, so when I talk about church planting, it's just starting a new church, is that you become uh, financially viable and self sustaining and self supporting. Like that's kind of the big goal. Yeah. Um, but the problem with that is always been that then if you're going to plant somewhere, you're going to plant somewhere where they can financially support you, which means typically we don't see the, the, the number of church plants you see in wealthy suburban areas compared to more impoverished area is just, yeah. I mean, it's huge. This difference. 
um, I don't even know what the numbers are of how many are planted. Um, you know, you planted in, in suburban Dallas and saw so many church plants come and go. I planted in suburban Denver and saw many, many church plants come and go. Meanwhile, in a neighborhood that was 15 minutes away, um, there were no church plants yeah. in that same time. And so um, I think we don't realize, I think part of the sharing resources and doing it generously comes from a sense of unity and responsibility and seeing the church as bigger than my local expression. That's in my church. right. Yeah. So not only do I need to see that as a send people, but I need to see our money as not just like for us. And then we give a certain percentage that we give away, but that we actually look at it and say, no, I'm, I have a responsibility to the church as a whole. That's right. Um, to, and so if we've been blessed with money that I, I don't have to figure out like, Oh, how can we, how can we spend this? Um, but I think how, how can we, how can we give this? Um, but that's also hard to do because it's just not part of our culture. Um, we don't, even at a family level, we tend to think of, well, of what I can afford. And then I, I set aside this amount that I give. Um, but then the rest of it is just, is mine and for me. And I just think we function that way as a church. And I wonder yeah. what it would look like if we just function as like, well, all of this is, right. is for the whole church. And yes, we are to take care of our local church family. There's a, there's a particular responsibility for the people in this church family, yeah. but there's also a responsibility as a whole. I don't know what you think about that. I am in full agreement with full all of agreement. that. Wow. That's Man, great. that's, yeah, we when we again it just becomes another form of self-protection where we say but well, we need to we need to protect our thing and what we have and it's their responsibility to protect their thing not realizing that's my family. Like that's that's functionally the same thing as the uh, same thing as saying like man my kids are my my kids starving right now but I'm not buying them a sandwich. Right. Like I'm I'm about my immediate family right now and they're like if he's starving that's a that's a bummer by by the fact that he's choosing to serve others and has a job that is not super, like not, not even that he's being like irresponsible or whatever. Like, but like we, we, we would, we take care of our family right. <laughs> and this is, this is our extended family, our blood bought brothers and sisters in Christ. And so just like Antioch's first response is, whoa, famine's coming. You know who this is going to hurt super hard the Judean church, mm-hmm. because they are in an area where famine just slams them crazy hard. And, and we have resources here. And so we are going to right. think first about our brothers and sisters in a completely different, I mean, now a completely different country because they're going to be in need. And those are our brothers and sisters. That is our family. Right. So it's not the, just the local church that is our family, but we have this extended family that we're responsible for. And it is such a blessing to be able to support Mm -hmm. them. Such a blessing to be able to say like, I've got two tunics. You have one of mine. Right. (laughs) That just the simplicity of we, we have, we have more than enough. Like obviously you who don't have enough, like we need to share with you. And, and to have that mentality of, of, just the sim- the simple mentality of well, of course we're going to help, and and I I just love how matter of factly Luke puts it, and everyone decided, as you know, each according to their means to contribute to this for for the service of the church, um, uh, with with the same sort of matter of factness as ah, prophet came in here and told us what's going on. Okay, well obviously the response is everybody should give to this other church in in another region uh i I just i I love the the matter of fact the simplicity in that the obedience and the direct obedience to christ and scripture in that it's just this very simple like well obviously we're gonna do this and eh, paul and paul martimus should bring it back to them they're heading that way and uh and just immediately immediately respond in generosity and support of their extended family I think some of that comes from, I mean, and we do. So first it's, it's important that we recognize that as a whole, again, talking about the American church, the American church has been incredibly generous and has in large ways understood that. I just think like we just press more like there's, I don't know why, um, you know, we think we do understand 
uh, you know, we support many churches across the country, support missionaries full time and have for, um, you know, or, or support them with a large, um, you know, with a good percentage of their income. We, we raise support. People understand culturally that if I'm going to serve in a, in a country that is impoverished, that I'm going to have to raise support from here. And that seems good and right. I just think that, um, I think that we're only scratching the surface of that, of what we actually could do and what, um, what I think we're even being called to do both internationally and domestically. And I think, I think one of the things that holds us back is just how complex we make things. Part of the reason why the church was able to so quickly respond to that is because you're talking about a very simple structure of, of church. And I know, and and we just tend to make things very complicated. And so um, I remember years ago uh, when Francis Chan was still at his church in California, when they were going to build a new building or renovate a, a building, he, he pitched the idea of, Hey, we live in Southern California. What if we just had an outdoor worship area? Like we can put, you know, cover over it, even, you know, for, for rain, basically make an amphitheater. And it just was a non-starter. Yeah. You know, they just couldn't even imagine that. But you think, man, he was just thinking, how much money could we save right. if we just met outside? And you're in Southern California. You know, <laughs> right. most most Sundays you're going to be fine. And um, and you just think, but the fact that that's just a non-starter for us is because we we feel like we, we just make things so complicated. Right. We need, we need bigger. We need more. We need, um, you know we need budgets for everything. Um, and, but that comes from the complexity and also comes from a more of a consumer, um, culture because then the feeling is if, well, if I'm not offering that, then some other church is going to, and then people flock to that church. And unfortunately that is the reality. Yeah. Like you really do. If you're going to be simpler, I mean, we had that happen all the time in our simple expression of the church when, um, people were like, well, you don't have this, you don't have this. Yeah, we don't. Like we, we worship Jesus. We make disciples. That's, that's what we got, you know? And it makes me sad that we've created a culture where that, um, where that is, where that is just the case. But I think if we want to be a missional church, um, as a whole, we do need to get simpler. We need to be okay with some simplicity so that we have more margins and are able to be, um, more generous Again, this is not. This wouldn't be shocking if we did a, if we did a budget meeting, if we did like a, a little um, class on fa- family finances. One of the first things we would talk about is just simplify things. Like if you're, yeah. you don't don't make things so complex. You know, if you if you have a budget for this car, like think, well, can I can I simplify that more? Um, you know, or you're living. Don't don't buy all the house that you could possibly stretch to afford ask yourself, what do we actually need? Yeah. You know, and if you have 12 kids, then you're going to need a bigger house than if you don't have any, you know, or if you're single. So that's fine. So, um, but, but the idea of kind of simplifying, we talk about simplifying our schedule so that we're available to be, um, to spend an extra, you know, five minutes at the coffee shop rather than my schedule being so packed that I'm just running in, running out all the time. Like if I'm always running by people, I can't be available to share the gospel with them. So that whole idea of simplifying um, is, I think, is really a critical piece. And and we try to do that, but it's, you know, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard when you're in a culture that doesn't simplify well. Like we like the idea of simplicity, but um, we worship busy, busy. We value busy. We, um, it's just such a funny thing. If you were from outside of this culture, I think you'd say everybody, um, complains about how busy they are and they make lots of decisions to make themselves really busy. Yeah. So we create, we right. create our own culture and then we complain about it. And because most of it's leisure stuff, you know, like right. we talked about, right. we talked about this before that you don't, you know, compared to a couple hundred years ago, I mean, think about how much of your day goes, how much of your time goes to actual survival. Right. How much of your day is committed to not dying? Right. Not not much. Pre- previously, it was pretty much the yep. whole day. Pretty yep. much sun up to sundown yep. was make Water, sure food, my family shelter. survives the day. Right. And I'm grateful for the blessing that that we are not living every day under the pressure of 
imminent doom. Right. However, that that definitely creates problems where then things that are actually objectively really insignificant become really significant and even like idols right in our hearts things that we believe are going to save and sustain and and care for us and protect mm-hmm. us and and they're they're things that oftentimes didn't even exist a few decades ago and right. now we feel like how can life go on without this thing right how can, how can i possibly survive without this thing that was just invented right 10 years ago you know that is just a reality but i overall i think um I mean, there there are some encouraging things. I think there, in the grander scheme of the church, there's been um, just a, a refocusing, and um, for a lot of churches, of realizing, oh, this is this is more critical than all the all the programs and all of the complexities. Yeah. Yeah. Like we want to be ascending church, and that is the kind of church we want to be. And so, um, echoing, I want to piggyback on on your call to people. But as as you're listening to this podcast, if you listen to the sermon, you know Robbie gave. Uh, three, three options of you know are you going to pray and be an encourager, um, a, a real encourager, and, and we don't just mean kind of flippantly pray, but like you pointed out, we have people in our church who commit to praying regularly and encouraging regularly our missionaries, and that is critically important. Um, and so that is one option. There's also um, like, are you gonna are you has God put you in a position where you can radically bless you know financially, um, you know, missionaries and support in that way. We all do. So here's part of it. When you were saying all that, we all do all these things in a, in a, um, I don't want to say generic way that makes it sound less valuable, but in a, we all, um, are to be encouragers, right? We all are to support, um, you know, the work of the ministry and we're all supposed to pray and we're, we're all supposed to pray and we're all sent. So it was great. Like yeah. you, you had that. And there were people who said, I want to, I want to know, I want to think more deeply about what does it mean to be sent in my local context? So, um, so there's a way in which we do all these things. But I think what you were calling to is, is there a, a special, like, I think there's a specific calling that we all are participating in even at a, at a more intense level. And yeah. so, um, if, uh, if you feel like, okay, I didn't fill out the card, you know, when Robbie mentioned that and, but, um, but I do want to know, okay, how can I be more of an encourager? How can I, how can I pray more regularly and, um, specifically for our missionaries? Then we can help you with that. If you are thinking, I want, I want to give more radically. Um, how, how can I direct my giving so that that, um, happens and, and you you mentioned this obviously the first step is just giving to the church you know because we support um as uh, we support missionaries as a church body so some of Correct. the a, a good chunk of the um of the giving general giving goes to support our missionaries but we also give the opportunity for people to give above and beyond to support um, missionaries and then of course the final one is that if you're called to go and um, I loved it, the way that you worded that, but if you're sitting, if, if you're listening to this and you have that, um, and you have been haunted by the chair, and if you don't know what that is then go back and listen to the message, but if you've been haunted by that, if you can't shake the feeling that maybe you're supposed to go, here's what I can't stress enough. Please talk to us. Yes. It, if by talking to us, you are not signing your life away that you're going to go, you're not going to receive like okay, well that's the that's your calling, and then if you ever back out of that, we're gonna heap shame upon you. What you will find, the elders of this church are committed to helping you discover that. What is the Holy Spirit telling you? You 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 may go through the process and start these conversations, and very quickly realize um, through discernment and through the help of discernment of others that you just what you what you were feeling was just a desire that missions happens, but like that that you don't have a particular calling to go or you may find that you do and and we want to support you in that and so there's nothing nothing hurt by stepping forward and just saying i i don't know we don't do the thing you know they used to have the like the altar calls if you feel called to the um mission field or whatever i've heard so many stories from people who did that and then felt really guilty and felt like this, this kind of became this burden on their life because they were just excited about the message. And then later they kind of discerned, they, they were like, I don't know that I'm supposed to go, 
but they didn't know how to say that to anybody because they'd already they yeah. come forward in front yeah. of everybody and er- that's why we do it this way. We don't we're not asking everybody like to step forward. Um, we do when we commission you. Like once you get to that place where you yes. say I'm I am going and we have discerned this is the call and when we've gotten to this place, well then by all means like we're we're bringing you up and we're going to send you pray over you and send you. Um, but until that point, uh, there's a lot of discovery that needs to take place and you weren't meant to discover that on your own. You were meant to discover that in community that loves you and knows you and can speak into your life and also can help you process through what is a very big decision of, of, am I going to, am I called to go somewhere else, um, to share the gospel? So if that's you, um, please, please let us know. You can contact Robbie at Robbie at faithpeshtigo.com or uh, you can go just to the church office at connect at faithpeshtigo.com and, uh, and we'll help you. And that's R-O-B-B-I-E. R-O-B-B-I-E, right. Right. I don't know where it goes that they misspell it. I think it goes to Jeff. Uh, oh, that's a good question. Then Jeff Bauer will be responding to your email. Yes. So you're going to want to spell that with the I-E. <laughs> Go directly to me. In the meantime, church family, thank you for listening. We love you and grace and peace to you. Uh-huh.